Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, Samreen, how do you use your difference to make a difference? Just, just the best question. I love it. I love it. So, and I have thought about this. So discomfort is a sensation an emotion I've learned to make good friends with throughout my life, which has been laced with adversities, both professional and beyond. Those experiences and the privilege to help clients process their own adversities and traumas are a source of deep insight, of connection, and of resourcefulness needed by anyone, let alone leaders, navigating the unfolding realities presented to us today. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Samreen. As a daughter, parent, entrepreneur, executive coach, advisor, and global citizen, Samreen draws upon a rich and diverse tapestry of tangible experience to generate distinctive insight into what it really takes to succeed as an authentic leader without compromise. In our conversation today, we talk about her lived experiences as well as the professional experiences. I always love when people are able to make things that are personal to them professional well because i did the same <laughs> and i'm always very curious about you know people's paths to making their career their life mission this episode is no exception as always you can find different ways to support our guests in the show notes so please make sure to go read the show notes and i would love for you to share episodes Things like leaving reviews, things like uh, putting five stars if you feel like it's worthy of five stars, or just sharing an episode with friends and family. They truly help the visibility of the podcast. And so we've seen a recent spike in the last month. So please, please, please continue to do that. It is a very, 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 very uh, helpful thing for us here at As Told by Nomads. And on a personal note, yes. I have noticed that even though we even had a spike in the last month, obviously in the last month, I've I've uh, slowed down in the output and I just wanted to take some time off to work with burnout that I was dealing with. I've been having burnout for almost consistently every year since 2019. And uh, part of it has been, you know, the nature of my work and dealing with a lot of the social injustices that, that, that come about with, uh, you know, my uh, professional work and, and just reliving traumatic situations when I'm put in close proximity with things that trigger, you know, experiences I've gone through in recent times or even in childhood memories. And so hopefully 
uh <laughs> they don't continue to persist i do go to therapy regularly so i don't want any of you to worry about me i, I it's it's a big part of my routine but I, it's something i've been working on and um one thing i will offer as a form of inspiration to you all is the more disconnected you are to your passion the less motivated you are at least that's been something i've noticed within myself and so if there's anything you can do to connect yourself to things you're passionate about please don't take that for granted i can guarantee you that it will help how you show up for yourself and for others all right hope you enjoy the episode and sabrina is really really great make sure you get a book and learn why accepting adversity can drive power and freedom enjoy Welcome, everyone, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's guest is Samreen McGregor. Now, Samreen has a very, very extensive background. She is an executive coach who works globally with senior leaders and teams across industry sectors, and she has been described by clients as having a unique ability to create the conditions leaders need to stretch beyond their perceived capabilities and make meaningful contributions to persevere good health. Her interventions lie in a unique cross-section between business performance, behavioral change, which we love here on the podcast, and embodied consciousness. Without further ado, I want to welcome Samreen McGregor. Thank you. It's great to be here. <laughs> Before I get into the change part, there, there's also a part of your bio where you talk about being half Venezuelan and half Indian, which makes you uh, bilingual in English and, and Spanish. But I'm curious about how that played a role in your background growing up. Oh, oh straight in, eh? Um, that's great. <laughs> oh, trust me, there's, there's a tie-in. There's a, there's a reason. <laughs> you see. Yeah. I, can, I, I, can, I can sort of anticipate a little bit of that. But um, So, look, my, my background is, is definitely a part of how I introduce myself to anyone I first meet so it's it's really lovely to be asked that question and for someone to be intrigued by the answer uh, and which which I know you are so I, I was born in Venezuela when I was you know when when I was born in Venezuela and I left Venezuela when I was 14 and um, but I was born to uh, an Indian father so uh, he was born in Agra but most of his family migrated to Pakistan during the uh, during the um, partition, it was after the partition actually, at the time at which he then moved to the US. And the relevance of that story is he met my mother in the US, in California actually. Um, so both my parents uh, did their graduate studies at Stanford and met, fell in love. My father is a petroleum engineer and my mother was a statistician actually, one of a handful of women um, she was desperate to do further studies and to, to do something professional in her life and was able to push her way through not speaking a word of English and then moving to California. Now, the reason why I share that story is because although I was born in Venezuela and I was raised in a, you know, in a, in a, you know, in a Venezuelan culture, uh, my father he encouraged us to always speak English at home. Um, and we, I'd speak Spanish. I obviously grew up bilingual uh, and would speak Spanish to my family because my mother has nine brothers and sisters and they're all Venezuelan. And, um, but my dad, I think highly influenced by the British empire 
uh, in a, that's a whole other fascinating story, um, had a real need for us to to grow up as a as a very international family. Mm. That had great benefits, uh, and it had certainly you know was progressive um, in the nineteen seventies and eighties. But it, goodness me, it had side effects. And as an individual growing up in Venezuela, going to an international school like yourself, yeah. um, having the experience of no clear rooted identity, actually, if I'm honest. Um, so yes, that third culture child um, certainly resonates with me. And having then moved to the UK and studying in an international American school here in the UK, where I am now based, and then marrying a Brit and having two kids, and I'm a third culture parent because they're very British. <laughs> um, and they have more of a, a global sort of worldly um, mindset. It, it, it has had a huge influence on who I am and some of the adversities and struggles I have faced, but also some of the things I've grown from and have made me me. You know, I thank you so much for sharing. That's I can certainly relate to a lot of what you said. I asked mm-hmm. that question to start off with because when I was doing research on you and I was, you know, going through a lot of your amazing work, I kept seeing that change theme come up. And I was connecting the threads between behavioral change you must have gone through to your passion for creating sustainable change and how you also help people do the same. And I wanted to see if, if there was something in your life where you could identify a behavioral change in yourself. You you brought up that identity crisis, if you will, because I've always described myself as having an identity crisis during those formative periods of my life, where you were sort of figuring out who you were. You, you were told what would make you stand out the most based on advantages and career and, and just, you know, branding essentially, right? You speak English, sound this way. This is going to help you stand apart more. But at what point did you figure out how to meld your identities, shed certain identities, and embark on a personal behavioral change that you could then connect to your passion? So there's, I think I hear two, two parts to your question. One is around my identity and the behavioral changes may be associated with embracing who I am and who mm. I what come may be and who I who I am. There's a second part of your question, which I think is really interesting, uh, more about how does behavioral change play a part in my passions, and and I think I'm going to try to answer them separately. Is that fair? Is That's that very fair? fair? Very very okay. fair. Yeah. So and I and I feel like I need to answer them separately because I I you know I I don't know whether I can well I can pinpoint a conversation actually many many years ago when I was in my uh, mid twenties and I'd you know, just, just to continue a bit of the, the, the sort of the upbringing I had when I, when I, when I studied here in the UK and then went, I went to university in upstate New York at a place called Colgate and very, very upper class, fairly homogenous. Yeah. So quite a shock to me. I wanted a contrast to my city upbringing. And um, so that was quite, it was, it was quite different to what I'd ever experienced living in Caracas all throughout my, you know, very early life, and then living in London, one of the most cosmopolitan right. places in the world. And and I think what's interesting is that I never really knew who I was. I, I was constantly stuck. I actually don't even think I was stuck between this dilemma. I was firmly on one side of wanting to fit in, wanting to belong. Mm. 
wanting to be a part of, wanting to conform, wanting to be accepted. And that was very much a, a staple experience in my early years. Then this conversation I had in my mid-20s, and I was working in an archetypal, quite British organization, which actually has become far more global because it was bought by a American-Canadian business, and it became... Um, it tried to become known for become I think they they are as the 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 world's most global university. So it's called Holt EF. Oh. But in those years, yeah, Holt. Now in those years, um, it was called Ashridge. So I worked at Ashridge. I was very lucky because I was surrounded by highly qualified, very experienced, incredibly skillful people and learned so much from them. Um, and I was in my mid 20s. So I was quite I was a baby. Yeah. But I remember having this chat with this mentor um, and he was a psychotherapist by background. And, and I had this we were sitting in this in this set in this old castle, really stunning in Hertfordshire, the UK. And he said to me, um, so Samarine, how would you describe your, you know, where you come from? What's your nationality? And I said, Oof, I really struggle, you know, because I was in the midst of this existential sort of trying to understand who I was. And again, still trying to conform and fit in and be accepted. And he said, well, you know what, Samreen, you know, as you talk about all this, and we had a long chat, he said, I can just put you down to being a Londoner. And uh, I must admit, there was a bit of a Londoner mean but actually the longer I stayed with it actually I thought I know again I was in that slightly conformist place I thought that works I am a Londoner actually because there's so many people from all over the place and I love living in London I did really enjoy uh, living in London um but then that posed a problem when my husband said can we please move out to the countryside because it'll be a better place for our kids to be educated mm. so then I'm like oh, I don't want to let go of my attachment to being a Londoner <laughs> so that that, that would probably answer the first part of the question um but it was it was a behavioral change because it, it, it I guess I learned how to reframe who I was and find some sort of just just some grounding even though it's not fully rooted if that makes sense of course. that makes a lot of sense it makes a lot of sense and then on, on the second part with the the behavioral change and just connecting that uh with what people do and passions and and I guess honestly for me it comes a point right there was a moment where I had to come to terms with the fact that there were moments where I, it probably wasn't Nigerian enough for some you know black enough for some man enough for some <laughs> whatever enough for some all the aspects of my identity that I consider important to me right and I had to have this amalgam amalgamation essentially of, of all of who I was but there was an, a period of acceptance that I came to where I was okay with not conforming to whatever the status quo was. Now, the decision to make a choice not to conform to a status quo while being confident in who you are is a very, very long and sometimes arduous journey. And for some people, it's very short. <laughs> but for me, it was throughout my my teenage years and, and the early part of my 20s. Um, but I just remember feeling a sense of calm once I embraced it fully knowing that it was rooted it was now going to be rooted in, in what I did for my career as well and I, and I wonder if in mm. your work you've noticed that sense of calm and relief that comes about from people just feeling certain about this the sense of identity they have and how it's connected to their job 
gosh you know everything you've said there really 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 resonates and um strongly actually and I often reflect on how my profession and my work mm. is is a source of real it's an use the word calm but it's a source of real yeah it's like home it's uh which is paradoxical isn't it because I work with so many people and yes. Yeah. And they're also different to me, but I actually do have a space that I either hold or, or create or co-create that makes me feel really, really accepted. And uh, and so a part of it, yes, my passion very much is around embracing the differences and and sharing my own differences. And, you know, difference, again, has a lot of definitions. And we're going to get probably into some of the conversation around how a particular kind of difference, which is, you know, when we suffer, when we face adversity. Adversity, yeah. Exactly. And so, but there are lots of different forms of differences. And and I, I find that, yes, that there is a there is a calm space there because difference is the one thing I share with everyone. There's not many things I share with everyone. And that sounds a bit dramatic and over-exaggerated, but genuinely that's the emotion I have felt throughout a lot of moments in my life. And yeah. uh, lonely. it's a lonely emotion. Lonely. Um, and being a minority, not just in terms of culture and identity, but in terms of references, what people talk about, you know, the shared memories that they might, even they don't share the same memory, they might share the same, the same TV show or the same, song or music that I might not share with them and that in itself is also a sort of isolating you know experience so so yes in my work I feel very different and part of it might come from the fact that I'm just so passionate and I love my work and yeah and I um I just I and and it's it's a source of reassurance and confirmation that I've got self-worth uh it's um I often have a conversation with 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 either my husband or, or or some of my colleagues about how I feel at the end of an intervention, you know, a workshop that I've been, you know, coaching a team or or a specific coaching session, yeah, um, or a talk. Recently, I've been doing some more talks, and that feeling of of having been a part of something that 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 I've missed, and 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 it feels quite abstract, but but yes, I definitely get this sense of of being a part of something i love that well something you're part of is the author club <laughs> your <laughs> your your book uh leader awakened why accepting adversity drives power and freedom is is addressing a lot of all these things and i think it's an incredible incredible framework for a lot of what people are going through right now you know the personal professional organization level so i'm just going to start off with the tagline of your book why do you believe accepting adversity drives power and freedom? So, gosh, that was that was a tough tagline to come up with, but when it when it came, it was oh, that was absolutely it. it captured it. So it's great that you 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 really focused in on that. I think we 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 are surrounded by conditions mm -hmm. uh, in this world, and and I and you know I think there is a relative comparison. You know, two decades ago three or four decades ago of course there was always you know an unpredictable nature to how we lived but you know the closer we get to to the early 1900s and the industrial revolution there was far more predictability back then um we are now facing 
conditions and factors and aspects um, that I would call like a poly crisis. I mean, it sounds again, it sounds it sounds not not negative, but it it, it does sound dramatic, but but it's true, and um, and I do I do hear this sort of pushback of you know we shouldn't really be constructing things um in in a way that 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 drives sort of panic and threat behaviors or responses but we do need to face the reality that the conditions over the last uh well even even over the last three four years have have, have certainly in, been inflamed so that uncertainty the volatility the impact it's having on our socioeconomic political ecological um reality is 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 pretty palpable i live in the uk you know, just reading the headlines in the last 24 hours, just about, you know, the inflation rates versus some of the um, the interest rates and the taxation is it's, it's you know, being compared to just after the Second World War. Yeah. And, and these are factors that certainly we're all affected by in our own contexts. So adversities stem from conditions like this. They stem from accidents. They stem from you know, unintended consequences of situations. They stem from the realities that life throws at us. And that applies both within a professional context, in a corporate context, in an organizational context, in an ecosystem, as much as it applies for us as individuals. So our ability to learn from how we deal and face and address and learn from and grow from these adversities is a skill I think that is undeniably necessary as we continue to navigate these times. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah, that's so well said because you're right about the conditions and, and how they're affecting us mentally and, and just the external factors as well as what's happening internally. It, it creates this scenario where there's, I guess some people feel like there's a, there's a lot of hopelessness and then they have to just give into the status quo, but, I get the sense reading your book that you believe that that adversity or that moment where people are questioning whether the status quo is going to be the the entire, you know, um, I guess, theme of their life is something you feel like people can learn from and they can actually mm. break through if they're willing to sit with the emotions that come with the adversities and challenges. Uh, is that correct? Yes, yes. But it, again, there's like three different dimensions to what I heard you describe. Ah, yeah. So hey, take it, away. <laughs> I love it. And I love it. I think the status quo is one really interesting thing. And I guess it comes back to my whole adversity relating to my identity. Yeah. Um, that, that's a great example of where I felt and I continue to feel at times where less so now, actually. I've learned a lot. I think I've grown, I've matured. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
Alright, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. But where I've had that dilemma between should I do what it takes to fit in and or conform to the expectations being demanded of me versus should I just dig my heels? Should I be more honoring of what I want and what I need? Um, so, some of the times not even being very clear of that. And, and so that that's definitely a status quo piece. I also think that status quo can be translated to a, a number of cons- circumstances and, and situations today um, for, and I, I work a lot within the corporate sector and the status quo keeps us feeling safe. It keeps us, uh, I guess, grounded with the familiar. And in that context that you and I just both described, we need some of that as human beings, don't we, yeah. as professionals? I do. So I think the status quo, definitely, the book is trying to share with the reader um, a number of different vantage points to look at themselves and to look at their backdrop, to try to adopt more than one angle. And I'm not being, I don't I don't necessarily want to polarize it or or present it as, as two angles, it's it, a multiplicity of angles. Um, that enable us to understand whether we conform or whether we stand our ground. I think this, the second thing I, I heard you talk about are emotions. And the book also um, expresses that, that you know, for the last 20 odd years, I've, I've, my work has, has been a, a combination between working quite analytically, um, uh, you know, working with businesses and individuals on a strategic and operational level, um, look working much more technically, but integrating that with a deep, profound emotional awareness, skills, data, insights to help shift behavioral change in line with our desired outcomes. Um, and I think the context of adversity is one that requires us to accept a certain range of emotions that are far more in the darker place. I describe myself as someone who inhabits the shadows of the people I work with. So I had to learn how to do that myself and to, yeah, to get used to the discomfort that comes with seeing something I didn't know about myself or even seeing something I don't like about myself, uh, surfacing some of the less conscious aspects that may have been driving some of my behaviors and my attitudes and my mindset. And actually, more recently, some of the somatics and some of the body uh, insight uh, driven insights that I can pick up and also understand not just the emotional piece, but the physiological piece. Mm. So that's just the second piece I think I, I heard you attend to is which are which are the, you know, sitting with emotions and yeah. adversity requires us to to work with these skillfully. This is a, you know, it, I feel like we're playing ping pong here because I'm probing in different ways and I'm picking up different things. There's a, in the description of your book, one of the first points is how your book highlights ways for people to become more acutely aware of the internal, external, personal, professional, and organizational factors that affect 
them as a leader. I'm very interested in your answer to that question, but I'm going to add a bit, a bit more color to it based on what you just said. You had said something to the point of everything that you wrote gives people awareness of several vantage points that they can look at themselves. I wonder if you could help the reader because there are many change makers listening to the podcast, understand how they can implement frameworks for themselves to be aware of those internal, external, personal, professional, and organization factors that affect them as leaders. Yeah, it's a great, and it's, you know, we're looking at various different aspects that, that come with that. And I think, as I said earlier, there's something here about understanding the, the surrounding backdrop and, and what's going on. And uh, there's a second piece around understanding the inner piece and mm -hmm. going deeper and actually a lot of the people I work with and I would include myself in this I think you know we all need a bit of humility if we're gonna if we're gonna work well together and I I think you know we we sort of sometimes make the assumption that we know ourselves enough and we know our context enough and my sense is that in this current context the rhythm at which we are operating is so fast and it's so demanding that we don't take the time to stop, I agree. pause, get a sense of what that actually means. And I do feel that there are lots of frameworks and techniques and tools that can be used to truly understand the context around us. But also there are lots of things, and I would say in the last 30 to 40 years, you know, whether it's psychometric tests or 360 feedback mechanisms within a within a, uh, a professional context or whether it's even sitting and talking to people that you know seek to talk to someone who's different from you and ask for feedback um you know these are all sources of information that help us to understand ourselves and get a sense of those forces those pressures those dynamics of us as individuals in this shifting unfolding context but the framework I'd be at, act, acting upon is not necessarily more prescription or more lenses through which to look. It's the space that's needed to slow down uh. and truly understand all these. I mean, look how much data is surrounding us right now. How do we even know where to find the needle in the haystack? It's really important. It's important today that might be less important in a few days time and may have been irrelevant in the past That's right. and for me it's how do we connect closer with ourselves and the context around us in a way that's that's true in a way that's authentic in a way that's and i and i you know I sometimes try not to use that word because i think it's been overused at times but in a way that's truly connected that enables us to assess but importantly to feel and to use all our senses that's my biggest learning I think that's so important, by the way. When I started the interview with your life story, I, I, I wanted to get a sense and I wanted the audience to get a sense of how you got to where you, you, you are right now. You obviously are defined by a worldview that has evolved based on the conditions around you. Uh, you've written a book to help people figure out the conditions around them. <laughs> and there are multiple nuances and layers, as you've described, that actually play a role in people's conditions, uh, in the conditioning factors that, that help people shape who they are internally as a culture and externally, you know, as society culture. And then if they're leaders, the organization culture, you has you, the through line that I've had through this interview is this concept of behavioral change, but then how identity sometimes 
isn't entirely something that we've given ourselves space to reflect on about whether we accept. You came to a point of acceptance and even evolution with your identity when you started to ask yourself some questions and you started to reflect on whether those questions or those things foisted onto you or things you wanted to accept. People today right now are inundated with information, so much so that they are not existing in the space that you just described. They don't take enough time to pause for a moment to reflect on whether the information that is you know, coming their way is actually helpful, useful, or something they want to build upon. And I do think that plays a role in how people are not quite as, I guess, equipped to dealing with adversity or take away the wrong lessons from adversity when it comes because it doesn't look like what maybe they thought it would look like based on the culture that they're looking at. Or or the cognitive assessment of how they're looking at it. And mm. I think that's probably another angle here that, that I've integrated quite a lot of for myself and for my clients, which is that we do rely quite a lot on our thought processes, on logically constructing a, a social construction of the situation of our work of problems of challenges when there is so much other insight that comes from actually understanding what our body has to tell us you know I don't know whether you ever have those moments and I guess you do when yes yeah, this really uncomfortable sensation. And you can't even, I mean, a lot of people say, you know, what's in my stomach, but actually it could be tightness in the chest or it could be, you know. My shoulders for me. <laughs> ah, tension in the shoulders. I've just seen my chiropractor this morning. And so it's, yeah, it's how do we hold some of these tensions? And, and actually a lot of them are manifestations of things that may have happened to us in the past, as I'm sure you, you, you will be very well aware. And I'm very passionate about helping people embrace some of the less comfortable, unwanted realities that may have been formed part of our past, which you and I both know some of them, we don't really want to go back there, actually. But if we can try to understand why they are manifested in the current through triggers or through moments that might spontaneously catalyze something that is either wanted or unwanted, then we can't learn from that. Yeah. We can't grow from it. We can't actually use it to help others either. Yeah. Uh, you know, we are facing a societal crisis, you know, polarizations, you know, uh, anger, hatred. And, and, and a lot of that is rooted in unresolved traumas, wounds from our past and from actually from other generations that I'm sure you and I will have rich, rich versions of. Um, yeah. I mean, everyone would have very rich versions of. Uh, yeah, that's that, that. That could we could do a whole podcast on generational trauma. <laughs> I, love, I love intergenerational trauma. Awesome. Uh, yeah, intergenerational trauma. Um, you, you talk a lot about uh, consciousness, right? This, this, this uh, embodied consciousness, as you say. What exactly is embodied consciousness? So, again, you know, I think coming back, it, it's it's is a perfect question right now because we were talking a little bit about how we rely on the cognitive on our logic um i'm going to probably give you a, a quite personal example of this um but you know we rely a lot on 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 a very very sort of i wouldn't say superficial but quite um um you know a, a shallow uh sense of 
what we know about ourselves and our environment. And our bodies are picking up a lot more. They're also grounded in experience, lived experience from years. Um, you, you mentioned the, the, the pain in your in your neck or your shoulders or not the tension in your shoulders. And that you know we, we suffer uh, symptoms that are stored versions of of information and stored units of unwanted trauma. And a lot of that tends to be pushed down by us telling ourselves we're fine. We can keep going. Um, if you start reading the beginning of my book, um, I talk a lot about being an overachiever. Yep. Talk a lot about um, the appreciation of wanting to be very driven and um, actually the appreciation I had by others of me being driven and wanting to be a perfectionist and reaching for high standards. And the manifestation of that in, you know, years later has been, you know, un a relentless work ethic that has cost me my health, has cost me my ability to sometimes see straight at friendships, you know, uh, which is something that I've learned quite painfully recently, that there are various phases in my life where I prioritized working or gaining status or progressing in line with my educational expectations. Um, and then came a moment, a moment in time six years ago where my son was diagnosed um, completely unexpected. He was nine years old um, and he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Um, it, it was a cancerous brain tumor. And um, I had two years of order book, great business. It was flying. Um, I had amazing clients who supported me and said, invoices now do the work when you get back. And I was, uh, coming back to the passion, I was passionately in love with my life. Yeah. Mm. Now, thankfully, 18 months later, he was treated successfully. Um, he made it through various brain surgeries, chemotherapy and radiotherapy and was, you know, one of the lucky ones. Yeah, because we did meet lots of other children and families um, who weren't so lucky. Um, coming back to their question about embodied consciousness, that woke me up. <laughs> it made me realize, especially over the two years following that period where we, we, were, we were fighting, we were battling through it, we were getting ourselves back on our feet as a family um, after thankfully having, you know, Darshan alive and well and healthy emotionally very affected as was his younger sister and the rest of us the two of us um the embodied consciousness for me was that two-year period where I really thought what has happened to my body what has happened to the rest of me I was like a tigress I mean you wouldn't have wanted to know me during those years I uh. <laughs> with the oncologist saying do you ever tell the brain surgery how to do the operation and I said well no but I want to make sure, you know, and so mother to mother, we need to have these sorts of um, things out. But it, it was a very difficult period. And um, it taught me that that overachievement, a lot of the ideals and the values that I cognitively thought were right, 
for me, for my family, for my identity, were actually not necessarily going to be the right ones in the long run. Um, yeah. And by the way, I'm still a workaholic. I love my work. I'm, right I'm there absolutely too. passionate about it. But embodied consciousness to me means, you know, getting up three times a week and making sure there's an hour long walk with my dogs, during which I contemplate or listen to a podcast like yours or <laughs> re listen to, a uh, you know, an audio book or, or call up a friend. That's embodied consciousness. It's being aware of how to get the rhythm in a way that's suiting my passion, but also supporting my well-being and my relationships. That's so beautifully said, so needed. Um, and it's a reminder to me as well. This is a, it's been a, it's been a pleasure just going down this memory lane because again, for listeners, the book is called Leader Awakened, Why Accepting Adversity Drives Power and Freedom. The link will be in the show notes, but this is a book about many things, but one of the key things is learning how to enhance your ability to deal with it, navigate uncertainty, but also giving you just inspired frameworks that could cause you to critically think through your thoughts, your behaviors, your values, and your actions. And this is necessary for any leader. And it's also necessary for any person, right? You, you, whether you have relationships on the personal front or organizational front, or even just you're, you're coming to terms with whether you agree with something that has shaped a lot of who you are. I think it's a great book for you to go through with yourself as well as with people that you love in your life. And so, uh, Thank you again for writing this book. I, th I think it's really important. Thank you for that as well. That's a lovely way of putting it. The pleasure is mine. So I'm assuming people can find the book uh, anywhere books are sold, right? Amazon? Yeah, it's book, it, it's sold in, in all major book, book outlets. Um, obviously, it's on Amazon, but it's in the States. It's in Barnes & Noble. Barnes & Noble. Um, and in, well, and 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 a few others. There's actually, um, in the UK, it's it's pretty much in, in every um, outlet. And it's also on, I've now forgotten the name of it. Oh, we'll, um, we'll, put, we'll put the links every, every <laughs> repository, which you can actually get a hold of it if you live in a country where Amazon or any of your bookshops don't stock it. Well, I, I, as we're winding down the interview, you're, you're, that cross-section that you describe the, between business performance, behavioral change, and embodied consciousness it's probably going to lead people to wonder, well, well how can I work with Samreen? How can I work with Samreen? Well, how can people work with you? Where do they need to reach out? Do you have a website that? I do. I do. So, so the, the, my, my organization is called turmericgroup.com. Um, turmeric because it's, um, it's a, it's a very powerful route and it's both preventative and curative. Um, ironically, I came up with that brand at a, before my son was unwell so um yes it's uh it's 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 really really quite uh core to it uh to to the meaning of, of the work i do but termrecgroup.com uh and you, you'll be able to find more information about the book as well as all our services wow okay that's also gonna be show notes, which leads me to this and i, I know you know my final question <laughs> so um samreen how do you use your difference to make a difference just just the best question. I love it. I love it. So, and I have thought about this. So discomfort is a sensation, an emotion I've learned to make good friends with throughout my life, which has been laced with adversities, both professional and beyond. 
those experiences and the privilege to help clients process their own adversities and traumas are a source of deep insight, of connection, and of resourcefulness needed by anyone, let alone leaders, navigating the unfolding realities presented to us today. Wow. Yeah, you definitely thought about this. That is so well said. <laughs> that is incredible. Oh, my goodness. That might be the most prepared answer. Oh, my. I am so impressed. That is. Ah. <laughs> that it is, is just so such good. a good question that you. I felt I had to give it proper, proper thought. Wow. I, I Yeah, I'm still blown away. Thank you so much. Honestly, this has been a real blast. I, I mean, for me, this has been. A great reminder to just continuously check, uh, you know, in with myself, right? I, it's something that I, I try to do, and I say I'm going to do some weeks. I'm, I'm horrendous at it, but I think it's always great to have the reminder, especially we're recording this on a Friday for me as we're going into the weekend to just remind myself that hey, that the body, mind, you know, soul, professional, everything needs to be able to be checked in with to see if I'm okay with what's happening there. So I, I really appreciate you for reminded me to pause and find that space to exist within. Lovely, lovely to hear that that's hope your intention. I hope you, you do take it through. It's a testament to your work. It's a testament to your work. But thank you so much. This has been a real pleasure. I've enjoyed every moment of this interview. So I'm wishing you the best of luck with uh, the book sales as well. And I'll do my best to contribute to that, uh, you know, and getting people there. So I really appreciate that. It's been a delight. Absolute delight. Thank you. Kings, queens, and royalty. Until next time, use a difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.